Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Laura, and I'm delighted to be here today with an episode about flexibility and neurodiversity, creating inclusive work environments with Claire Kumar, who I met through the Canadian Association for Professional Speakers, where she did an excellent session, and I learned so much from her, and I was really drawn to the important work she's doing. So let me tell you a little bit more about Claire. She dances at the intersection of productivity, getting things done, and inclusivity, inviting everyone to participate. She's a highly sensitive executive coach, an international speaker, and the host of her own podcast, The Happy Space Podcast, where productivity meets inclusivity. Claire is also an award-winning entrepreneur and a sought-after media contributor. She shares her insights regularly at places like CBC Radio and on news and lifestyle shows such as The Social, The Marilyn Dennis Show, and she's appeared in Fast Company, The Huffington Post, The Report on Business, McLean's, The Toronto Star, and more. So we are talking to a true expert. Claire works with companies you may have heard of in your life. Facebook, Staples, Whirlpool, TD Bank, um, and organizations like Queen's University and McMaster. So she spans across different industries. And her highly sensitive temperament is behind her superpower of noticing little things that make a big difference. Like the bookshelf behind me, for those who are watching on YouTube, we'll see. Um, making sure that everything is contributing to your well being and your productivity. So without further ado, Welcome to Where Work Meets Life, Claire. I'm so happy to be with you, Dr. Laura. Well, it is my absolute pleasure. Tell me a little bit more about how you became passionate about designing spaces for inclusion. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I worked in the corporate world for quite a long time and had two small children. And while I was doing work that was interesting, I found it really difficult to manage and navigate both being a mom to small kids and the corporate world and the structure. So I, I went through a period of self-reflection and I thought, gosh, what skills do I really have that are natural to me to, to really want to bite into? And then how can I build that into a career that gives me the autonomy that I need? And so it, it was actually somebody in one of my baby groups, my daughter, when my daughter was born, who had done a course on how to become a professional organizer. And she came to one meeting and she said, Claire, I did this course. It's not me but it is so you. I guess she saw the way I was navigating and arranging things all the time, whether it was my space at home where we'd have meetings or just how I navigated being out and about with a baby. And she just thought, this is you. And from there, I went into building a business around organizing space, looking at time, but also supporting the, the corporate world with productivity expertise as well. Wow. And here you are today. And I know in the intro, I talked about some of the things you're doing. What are you most excited about these days? Oh, right now it's around taking all of this uh, knowledge and actually packaging it into a book, which is going to help people figure out what conversations do I need to have to not only get the most out of my team, but starting with self to really understand, gosh, what do I need to know about myself to invite my best performance and then expanding from there? Beautiful. When will that book come out, Claire? I don't have a date yet. So uh, in the early stages of writing right now and then figuring out the publishing path, but I'm thinking 2024. 
Awesome. Can't wait to share that with our followers. So Claire, when we first talked, there was a quote you said, and you said, design for productivity and performance will flow. Can you tell us more about this concept? Yeah, it's designed for well-being. I think if we, we sometimes don't correlate well-being with productivity quite in, as innately as I do. So if, if a if a client is reaching out to me for some coaching, for example, and they're saying, I'm just not getting to the task that I want to do, I'm procrastinating, or I am um, perf have perfectionism going on, I will often zoom out and say, let's just check on value alignment first. Let's make sure that where you're aiming is in indeed where you're trying to go, because sometimes there's a value misalignment, and that's going to be your biggest productivity thief. But the real one, and this is where my biology degree starts to make sense, I really like to understand human physiology and its relationship to performance and things like sleep, movement, nutrition, hydration, our, our interaction with natural light and sometimes toxic produced light. All of these things contribute to actually feeling at our best and able to contribute. So one example of well-being driving performance, I've had a busy day so far. I took a 15 minute just check out lie down quiet time before joining you so that I could bring my best energy to be with you and your listeners today. Beautiful. So design for well-being and performance will follow. Got it. And what you said makes a, makes a lot of sense. I mean, we're all human beings who are doing certain things in our day to day, but we need to take care of our being physical, mental, emotional, spiritual in order to do our best. Would you agree? Yeah, and a lot of times hustle culture will tell us suck it up, persevere, grit, do you know, throw away, sleep when you're dead. You know, all of that kind of rhetoric is very harmful. And and in fact, we need to go the other way and say, "Oh, tune in deeply and say, wow, what have I noticed about the way I work that really sets me up?" And that's that's my big invitation. That is a great invitation. So, neurodiversity is such an important topic. And I'd like you to tell us a little bit more about the various types of neurodiversity that uh, you have worked with and, and focused on and where they may struggle with certain types of workspaces and perform better in other types of workspaces. Yeah. So neurodiversity itself, maybe to just start with a definition, really came out of the term biodiversity and realizing that different evolutionary paths are generally helpful as we evolve. So it's proclaiming that to have different ways that the brain processes information is a good thing and that everybody falls into an example of being neurodiverse. So we are all part of neurodiversity. Neurodivergent, however, is talking about the group of people that are not typical. So um, things like ADHD would be considered in neurodivergency, autism. Um, I'm very adamant that the highly sensitive trait, which affects about one in five people on the high level, is part of a neurodivergent way of being too. You'll also find people with uh, challenges like Tourette's, um, certain learning disabilities, dys dyslexia, for example. There's a bunch of disses, dyscalculia, dysgraphia. There are um, a number of different conditions, which means our brains are processing. Now, it doesn't mean we're all the same, but I have noticed there is a through line 
The different kinds of neurodivergency, there are a number of different conditions which fall under neurodivergent. And they're not all presenting the same way. You'll, you may have heard if you've met one autistic person, you've met one person with autism. It doesn't mean that everyone will have exactly the same manifestation of the trait. Um, but I do see uh, sensitivity as a through line with many, many uh, neurodivergent people. And often there is a hypersensitivity with some kinds of uh, temperaments as well, though with ADHD, sometimes we want more stimulation to be able to focus. So it's about really understanding the nuances for each person and where those sensitivities lie. It, and we have we have eight different senses that we're paying attention to. We think about five, um, the, the most common senses, but we also need to think about our balance system, our proprioception, our sensing of movement in space, and also interoception, which is sensing, oh my gosh, have you ever been hangry? That's your body telling you that you need to pay attention to hunger. If you're thirsty, it's thirst. If you're no, you know, so it's, it's starting to pay attention to the broader cross section of what our sensory input is. And certainly I think neurodivergent people to be at their best need to pay attention to that. That is fascinating. I love the way you described that. I love the look of your beautiful, soft cat. Can you tell us the cat's name? This is Ellie. Oh, and now Theo's come to the party as well. I now have two cats on my desk. They're, they're both here for you. Uh, and they are brothers I adopted right on March 29th, 2020. So when the pandemic happened, one of the things that I talk about it with respect to productivity is social connection. And I realized when everything kind of shut down and we weren't interacting as humans the way we normally do, I really needed some more social connection. I adopted these two boys and they make themselves an important part of my day every day. They're both on my desk right now. That is just so beautiful. And I think uh, pets are such an important part of the connection. Um, and they're part of our community. You know what I read? I read just yesterday, actually, that in uh, it was a work work world or um, one of the sites sort of assimilating the best practices in HR. And there are insurance companies making benefits available to employees to take care of their pets. That's how important they are in our life now. So they've become a benefit at work. That is so interesting to hear. Uh, so many different types of senses that that we might not think about are important to us in our performance, in our well-being, and adjusting to different environments. And you did a good job describing neurodivergence versus neurodiversity. I want to talk specifically um, about flexibility and how that has been important to neurodivergent um, workers and what you've seen with hybrid and remote work arrangements um, for these people. Well, I think largely it's missing in conversation. What we've seen collectively is the recognition that people can work effectively from home and that a large majority of people are fiercely clinging to the, the ability to be working from home and the autonomy that comes with that. So yes, I think it's highly advantageous for the neurodivergent population, but really most humans want a degree of customizing their work experience and having some autonomy to do that, whether it be time, space, how you're doing the work, 
all of that has a part to play in everyone showing up at their best. I think it's absolutely critical, though, for neurodivergent people who happen to be highly sensitive because the open concept office was a very challenging place to be with its visual distraction and also oral distraction. It became for me somewhere that I really struggled to focus on in. And I think that there are a lot of people who, depending on the context, you might have somebody living at home, for example, with small children who is just, please get me to the office because that's where I can actually think. Or you might have someone who's just, you know what, that office and the commute itself could have been absolutely um, hiring and just sap too much energy. So I call it paying tax during the day. And ideally, if we can design our life so that we are doing what we need to to maintain our body mind spirit and having the rest that we need that's really under threat in the common workplace if we can design it with the amount of autonomy that we need to be able to show up properly and with the right energy and enthusiasm and our cognitive abilities at their best then boy i think our whole gdp would go up a lot and it's it's you know great for neurodivergent people but it's great for everyone I couldn't agree more having specialized in flexibility and distributed work arrangements for 15 years or more now. Uh, I really uh, was so delighted that the world opened up their eyes to these arrangements. And and now I'm seeing a pull back to offices and, and thinking, haven't we, we learned about the fact that it's not a one-size-fits-all yeah, if I can just touch on that, I think there's a couple of points why that's happening. And one of them completely relates to the fact that we weren't taught how to be most productive. It wasn't something we learned at school. We might have had good role models, but we weren't taught great organization skills, planning, and superlative communication skills. So I think some of the leaders in knowing they need to navigate what is now much more abstract are struggling with that and saying, oh my gosh, it's so much easier if I just know where everybody is and I can see you all and I have all the cues that I'm used to about not forgetting things. I think it actually behooves us to really develop our productivity skills. And so this is why I'm, 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 I'm kind of hoping that this connection between productivity and inclusivity and this whole idea of building skills and then allowing autonomy is really the path to the future. I absolutely agree. And I love this, this angle you're taking on it. And I'm especially interested in the highly sensitive person. Um, and you mentioned that you are one of those, and I am one of those as well. And um, this trait of high sensitivity and what strengths it brings and what struggles it brings in the context of work. Yeah. Uh, the way I keep it really easy to remember is I, I first want to bow down to Dr. Elaine Aaron, who first identified the trait in the mid to late 90s. And um, I've taken her way of looking at it and just reorganized it slightly. All the elements are there. And I talk about the seed model of high sensitivity. And seed gives you an easy way to, number one, think of it as this positive thing that is within you with so much goodness to, to come out. It needs nurturing. And seed uh, stands for four things. It stands for sensitivity to stimuli. The first E is empathy. The second is emotional responsiveness. And the really big important trait for highly sensitive people is depth of processing. 
We, and you will identify with this, we are the thinkers, we are, we connect the dots, we can think so deeply about something that we, we are abundantly creative, we can also, here's the struggle part, we can also get stuck in analysis paralysis and be like, oh my gosh, and perfectionism and what, and our conscientiousness is generally very high as well. So we, we want to do a great job. So there's the strengths and struggles of the D. I'll back up and go through the, the second E, emotional responsiveness. I, I bring Will Smith up as an example of this because from how I observed him in his book, Will, and in a lot of the things he talked about, I observed someone who was high in empathy, very creative, clearly, um, and emotionally responsive. And we saw that at the Oscars in his interaction with Chris Rock, right? There was a trigger, there was an emotional response, and there you have the strengths in the ability to deeply feel. And then the struggle in that if we're not very self-regulated in that moment he'd come off the highest high being you know given this incredible award and then hit his lowest low i'm sure and that uh, ability he might have felt the high higher he might have felt the trigger stronger and all of a sudden this moment happened and so highly sensitive people have to deal with this incredible emotional responsiveness. Our brains will have more actual reactions. We have more mirror neurons to other people, which shows up in our high levels of empathy. So the strength is we care. We naturally care about those who are around us. And this happens, of course, at work as, as elsewhere. It can also be emotionally exhausting because I don't know, I made maybe a mistake. I watched a bit of the news today and oh my gosh, after that, I was like, how many bad things can possibly be happening at once? But coming back to sensitivity to stimuli, I think here, you know, if there was a fire happening, wouldn't you celebrate the first person to yell smoke and notice that fire? You would think that sensitivity to stimuli would be the best trait in the world to happen, right? But if you are in an open concept office space and people are having their food beside you and other people are talking and laughing and there's music and a copier and you're just, you're shutting down because you can't process all of that incoming, that's where the struggle lies. So the seed model of high sensitivity is an easy way to remember that. And uh, what I want people to focus on is that it, it means you've got this incredible opportunity to nurture those strengths to come out and be shown. I love that. And it's such a, an easy way to remember it. And I liked how you said one in five people are highly sensitive. So all of us either know people that are or we are ourselves. So that is very widespread. Um, and I, I love that the workplace has changed and adapted. But I think there's a long way to go when it comes to tr traditional office environments. There's a lot we don't pay attention to. I think light is one of the biggest ones. Um, I was just talking to my assistant today and he said, your last podcast episode, you were talking about light and you were talking about using F.Lux on your computer at night, which turns your computer into sunset tones at sunset. So you're not getting white light into your eye. I mean, we kind of know about dark mode on the phone, but we haven't thought about expanding it to the TV screen where we're watching hockey on a big, now super huge screen and all that white light's coming in and affecting our circadian rhythm and are depleting our melatonin. So if we understand a little bit more about physiology, 
then we can make sure we're putting that into the design that we're choosing, um, you know, the spaces that we choose to spend time in, which then support us. So I, I follow Dr. Samer Hattar, who he's an individual who found cells in the eye that respond to light. And we're not meant to actually have overhead light at night. Those cells are meant to respond to sunlight in the day. And, and so it's fascinating to look at the science. So I nerd out on all of, all of that stuff. <laughs> that is fabulous. So you love my, the generous work home episode that was recorded in a work home that had all of these things in mind when Philip Van Houten created it. So um, I think you'll enjoy that. And to the listeners as well, that's uh, one of the recent podcasts. Um, let's talk about the cost of clutter next. Um, we just moved offices after 10 years in one place and got rid of a lot of clutter, which was a great feeling. But you know a lot about clutter and how it impacts our productivity and well-being, Claire. Can you share a few things? Yeah, and I would say it's very personal again. We have some trends that will push us towards minimalism, for example. And then we have a trend zooming out and saying, no, I collect all the things and display them behind you. And I would say that personal preference differs widely and our ability to be comfortable in a space is it's not one space or the other. So tuning into what kind of environment makes you thrive is important. That's why I have this hot pink wall. I love the energy. If this whole room was white, I would not feel the same way. I would, right? So, um, and having the things around us, the, the degree and the depth of the things around us is again, quite personal. What's interesting in this, I've been looking into different um, cognitive styles and processing styles, and there's something called the KAI, um, it's the Curtain Adaptive Innovation Theory. It's been around for 50 years. And what's interesting is he looked at our propensity to want order. And I thought, well, I'm an organizer. Of course I want order. Well, no, I did the assessment and it turns out I want absolute more flexibility. I don't want every day to look the same. I want more of the creative side. And it seemed to me that you marry this need for creativity with high sensitivity. And I came to organization and being able to design an environment to reflect my way of working and many clients' ways of working driven by their preferences, not what I thought it might look like for me to be comfortable, but listening to them. And that was because I wanted to calm my world down. I wanted the noise, the stim stimulation to be at an appropriate level for me. There are many people who would find this hot pink way too much to be around and they're like, no, I would want petal pink or a neutral nature color. Um, uh, but for me, this gives me the energy to, to show up and perform and, 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 and excites a lot of people when I'm doing workshops and, and so on as well. They, they seem to love it. But it's very, very personal. That's why I say productivity is personal. And we want to really customize our spaces as much as we can. And I think that's one of the joys of being at home is that you can do that to the, to the extent that you want to. Absolutely. Which brings me to my question about work-life wellness or work-life integration, I know you call it. Just briefly, how does that play out in your own life, Claire? Oh, you know, it's it's interesting because I, I teach this as part of, of what I do too. I, I sort of model myself now. I said a highly sensitive executive coach you mentioned at the top, but I'm part life coach, part wellness coach, part productivity coach. 
And if you really want performance, you have to zoom out, right? And I mentioned that before, is like, what are your values telling you you need to do? What is your big purpose drive? And then so much so, what is, how does your well-being translate into being able to show up? And I think they are so critically woven. Our, our ability to think well and clearly, you know, it's dependent on staying hydrated in the day and having a water. Um, there's science that shows performance um, is less. The, the, the students who took a, a test after hydrating did better than those ones that didn't. And for example, the right room temperature, also people performed better. And it's funny because I've had some um, neurocognitive testing and I said to the tester, I said, I want a fan in here and I'm, I brought my water and I set up all the conditions to give myself the best chance to do well on the test. I'm sure she was just like, oh God, lady, what are you doing? Awesome. So I asked this to all my guests, what do you read or listen to for your own uh, growth or development? And it can be related to this topic of neurodivergence and inclusive spaces, or it can be broader. What do you recommend? Well, I'm I'm imagining you might have heard of this one before, but Huberman Lab, Andrew Huberman, he's out of Stanford, an amazing in-depth podcast, and he puts it to video as well with like one to two hour interviews going deep. And that's where I think I first learned about uh, Dr. Samer Hattar, who's discovered the cells in your eyes that sense sense overhead light, for example. Um, really, the biology, physiology, and understanding the effect on human, human performance, I could listen to him all day long. Beautiful. Awesome. Do you have a book you recommend? One of your favorites? Oh, gosh, I have a stack behind me. If you're interested, I'm going to say if you're interested in the topic of high sensitivity at all, start with Dr. Elaine Aaron's book, The Highly Sensitive Person. I, I interviewed on my podcast more recently, Andre Solo, who came out with a book um, in February of 2023. And it's a, a fresher take on sensitivity with some updated research. But uh, uh, the, the, the Bible for me is Elaine Aaron's first book, which is 25 years old now, and still so brilliant and insightful into the trait. Uh, that's a that's a go-to for me all the time. Awesome. I have that on the shelf behind me as well. So great recommendation. We'll include that in the show notes. Um, my final two rapid fire questions. If you didn't need to sleep and you could use the time for whatever else you wanted, what would it be? Mm. I think I would take all that time and put it into really good vocal lessons. I think I, I have a, a long a passion for singing. And I, if, I, I told my mom many years ago, if I had 10 lives, one of them would have been as a singer for sure. So I would, I would definitely do some of that. Beautiful. And you do have a lovely voice. And I love listening to your podcast. Um, and we'll include that in the show notes as well, for sure. And in the blog that follows this episode, a week after, we'll launch a blog and include it. So very excited to share that with our viewers. If you could have one wish for a better world when it comes to this whole inclusion and well-being and performance, what would it be? It's the acknowledgement that we need different conditions to perform at our best and just, if we accept that, then we will accept that flexibility is inclusivity. And that's my big wish is that we'll have the conditions that invite more people to offer their best, because if they do, they get to give. And if they give, they then build the fulfilling lives that I think every one of us deserves.
and with every fulfilled life of purpose uh, comes a better world and better workplaces. Exactly. Lovely. Well, thank you so much, Claire, for being on Where Work Meets Life. We covered a lot of ground here, but I think it's important because a lot of this applies to everybody in some way, shape, or form, whether we work from home, an office, or a blend, or about our daily lives of how we organize and pay attention to the space around us so that we can be well and we can thrive in whatever we're doing in this life. That's exactly it. I mean, the big invitation is to tune in before you lean in. Beautiful. Great final statement. Thank you so much, Claire, and I hope that you stay well. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Where Work Meets Life. If you found this content valuable, please rate and review the episode and share with others who may benefit. Visit me on my website at drlaura.live and sign up for my monthly e-newsletter full of tips and resources. I'm also a passionate keynote speaker and would be delighted to speak with you on your speaking needs. Stay well.